You can turn over in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 12. There was a story of a man who went to church with his family. And as they were driving home afterwards, the dad was complaining. He complained that the music was too loud. He complained that the sermon was too long. He complained that the building was too hot. He complained that the people were unfriendly. He just complained about all sorts of stuff. And uh, in, in the midst of all this complaining, his very observant, son, very observant son said from the back row, he said, well, Dad, you got to admit, it wasn't a bad show for a dollar. <laughs> yeah, sometimes we haven't put a whole lot into something in order to get a whole lot out of it. We haven't put a whole lot into some things, but we expect to get a whole lot out of it. If you're going to get a whole lot out of the Word, you've got to put some stuff into it. If you're going to put some, something out of the uh, Word that you listen to during the week, you've got to put something into it. Whatever it is that we want to get out of, we need to put something into it. Sowing and reaping is what it's called. We need to sow and we need to reap. Last week we were looking at sowing, that we sow from what is our own. The tithe is God's. The tithe is where we take the 10% of what we have when it comes to us, and that God says that's mine. So we just take that right off the top and give it to him. Don't designate the tithe. Don't try and have any control over it. If you control it, then it's yours. It's not God's. You make sure you don't do that. What did God say to do with the tithe? Bring it into the storehouse. That's all he said to do with it. That's all that you should do with it. But then after that, there's the offering. Now, the offering, you, you target this. You designate this. What are you sowing for? And you ought to keep a, a, a tab of it yourself. A farmer keeps tabs of what he has sown in what field. And when you sow, you ought to know what it is that you've sown. If God says, sow $50 into this ministry over here, sow $50 into that, write it down somewhere. Have a, have a record of it. Know what it is. Because you want to be able to reap the harvest. God wants you to reap the harvest on it. He doesn't want it just to go to waste. He doesn't want it just to sit out there. He wants you to sow so that you can what? Reap. That's what he wants you to do. That's his goal. We sow from what is our own into God's ministries, God's ministers, and wherever God commands. That's what we need to do. We are sowing when we give in God's ministries, God's ministers, or wherever God commands. We said when we sow, it needs to be good seed. Good seed is word that is true and understood. You cannot go out and sow false word. So you've got to make sure that you have an understanding of it and that you're correct. You go out and sow false word, it's not going to help you. not going to reap a good harvest on that. And it needs to be things that are good and desired. Things that are good and desired. When God asked for the, the sheep to be brought, what sheep was it? The best, the most perfect in fact, that would be blemish-free, perfect sheep. We put in your outline before, you cannot sow what you do not treasure to reap what you cannot measure. It needs to cost you something. It needs to measure something. Uh, it needs to be something from you. When David was going to build an altar because of the things he had done that were wrong and was bringing a problem upon Israel, he was, was uh, going to build it on this particular plot of land. And the guy said, oh, just take it. Just take it. And he said, no, I can't do that to something that hasn't cost me anything. It's got to cost us something. So make sure you sow good seed. Don't sow junk. Don't sow stuff that you would be getting rid of anyway. Good soil 
is the other part. Good soil is that which produces more seed. So when you sow into people, when you sow into uh, others, uh, other ministries, it, it needs to be something that's producing. If the word is in the, the ministry, word needs to come out. There needs to be word that comes out. People may or may not do anything. We said it's not the har- what people do with the harvest. It's the fact that the soil is giving a return is what you need to see. It's good soil. Not necessarily uh, Jeremiah. We were talking about Jeremiah. had good so- He was good soil to sow in. God sowed a lot of word into him. And what happened to the people who heard what he said? Nothing. They didn't change. No converts. That's all right. It was still good soil because God said, whatever God said, Jeremiah did what with it? Spoke it out exactly as God gave. Didn't alter it, didn't change it. Gave it out just as God said. That was good soil. Needs to produce the seed that you, whatever seed you put in there needs to produce more of it. There are some people that you've gone around and you have sowed things into and they have not in turn sown into other people. We saw that example with the guy with the forgiveness. He was forgiven a huge debt and then he went out and did what? Found somebody with a small debt and said, no, you're going to be going to prison until you pay me. And then what happened to his forgiveness on his big debt? Got pulled. Why? Because he was bad soil. Don't be bad soil. God has given us richly. You make sure you give to other people. God has sown forgiveness into us. You make sure you forgive other people when they ask for it. Make sure that you're good soil. Let's go on with this. Genesis chapter 12. We also looked at Isaac. He was our guy we looked at with who sowed in a land that was in famine and reaped a hundredfold because God told him to sow there. God will tell you to sow in places where no one else is reaping a harvest. If God tells you to do it, God is going to bring a harvest about. You need to trust. There is faith involved in harvesting. There is faith involved in sowing. There is faith involved in reaping. Faith is involved in both. Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your, make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Now, understand, he did not live in Haran. He had stopped in Haran on the first trip. God had first called him to go, and he, he went and took his dad with him and then stopped over in Haran, looked like his dad got sick. They stayed in Haran for a while. His dad died there. Uh, some of the family stayed back behind in Haran. And then he, he left his family and went on and finished off what God had told him to do before when he left out of Ur of the Chaldeans. Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem as far as Terebinth tree of Morah. And the Canaanites were there in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to your descendants, I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. I want you to take you back to verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will what? To a land that I will show you. Go over to verse 
6. Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem as far as the terebinth tree of Morah, and the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will. Is there a difference between showing and giving? Absolutely. How many times, when you, especially when you were little, and you were going to take someone over to your friends, and you were going to show them? What's that mean? I'm keeping it, but I wanted you to see it. It's still mine, but I wanted to show this to you, right? Showing you does, has no indication that I'm going to give this to you. If you went out and bought a new car and you wanted to show some people, some friends of yours, come here, I want to show you my new car. You're not planning on giving it to them, are you? No, <laughs> not at all. If you've got a new phone, I, come here, I want to show you my new phone. Are you going to give it to them? No, I want to show it to you. Something happened between verse 1 and verse 7. God went from saying to a land I will show you, and then he says to a land that I will give you. There is a difference between God showing you something and God giving you something. So here's my question. What changed? God first says to Abraham when he's in the land of Ur, I want you to go to a land that I will show you. He stops off in Haran. God gets him going again. Abraham, I want you to get away from your family. I want you to go to a land that I will show you. And then when he finally gets there, God says, I'm going to give you this land. Abraham never asked for it, did he? Now we look at uh, Canaan as a, as a harvest for Israel, as a harvest for Abraham. So my question for this is, what did he sow? God, God does not just come up and arbitrarily give us things. God wanted to give us his son as a sacrifice for sin, didn't he? He said that back in the garden when Adam and Eve first fell. The seed of the woman will crush your head. How was he going to do that? Well, someone had to step up and sow or give a firstborn son in order for God to be able to do it, and Abraham was that guy. So in order for the Messiah to come and all nations be blessed, Abraham had to first of all be obedient and to bring or give his firstborn son. God stopped and says, now I know you're going to do it. You don't have to do it. I know that you're willing to do it. That's all I needed. Now I can go through and do what I was going to do and bless all nations. So what did he give? What did he sow in order to get this? God first says to Abraham, I'll put this in your outline because I want you to get this. God first says to Abraham to leave a land and go to another that he would show him. The only thing that Abraham did was leave. What did he leave? He left his homeland. So what did he get? A new homeland. Did you know that simply by leaving some things, you have sown? We don't want to base anything off of one verse of Scripture, do we? I put this in your outline too before we get to this, but in order to go to, one must leave. He could not go to until he left. When he was up in Haran, he had not gone to, had he? So the promise from God was, to a land I will show you. When he finally gets there, he has left the other land. 
And he has gone to where God said to go. Mark chapter 10, verse 28. He just talked about the, the rich guy. Go sell all you have. Give to the poor. Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have what? Left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one. Say no one. No one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands. Lands. For my sake and the gospels. Did Abraham leave his homeland for the sake of the gospel? Yes, he did, didn't he? So he did what Jesus taught about in the New Testament simply because he said to do it. <laughs> Who shall not receive a hundredfold when? Now, in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. If you went over to Luke's account of this in Luke 18, verse 30, who sh uh, he says this, who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come. What Jesus is teaching and what Abraham demonstrated was if you leave what God tells you to leave, there will be blessing in this life and in the one to come. Leaving is in a way like sowing because you have left it. Now understand this, you cannot leave what you do not cherish. That's not leaving anything. That's usually running away from something. <laughs> That's using, hey, I'll get out of this. Yeah, no problem. You know, if you have a job that you don't like and you feel, I feel like God is telling me to leave this job. <laughs> you have a neighborhood you don't like. I feel like God is telling me to leave this neighborhood. You have, I mean, we've all been in places. like We've been in places where we don't like a certain thing. And what? How many of y'all have uh, in-laws that you... You can't leave them. That's not God. Nope. You leave something that, is cher that you cherish, something that is good to you. Abraham enjoyed his homeland. He grew up there. That's his home, home place. And God says, I want you to leave it for a place you have never seen. Never seen. I want you to do it. And Abraham says, okay, we'll do it. And so as he left, that gave, him, gave God the opportunity to give to him. So up until then, it's, I'm going to show you a land. I'm going to show you land. Here's the problem. I'm going to show you a land. And when he finally gets there and he finishes what God said, all right, I'm going to give this to you. You did what I needed you to do. That's what I needed you to do. That's what I needed to work off of. Now you're there. Now it's you. I'm going to give it to you. To all your descendants, they're going to have this. So I put in your outline it this way. Sowing is not just giving. Sometimes sowing is leaving. There seems to be an aspect of sowing in the things that God calls us to leave. How many of you have left some things that were very special to you? You left them for the gospel's sake? You left them for because God either told you to or, or uh, somehow for the gospel's sake you needed to walk away from that, you needed to leave it? 
You know what the Bible has promised you? In this life and in the one to come, you will reap many fold blessing. Now, just not, not just for leaving stuff. Leaving it for what? The sake of the gospel. So what was sown that Abraham might receive the harvest of Canaan? His homeland, the land of Ur, the place where he grew up. Let's take a look at some of the people that were reaping in this harvest. How many, how many tribes of Israel were there? There were 12. How many actually got an inheritance out of the land? 11. Levi did not. Levi's inheritance was the Lord, and they were the, peace, the priest and the uh, uh, teachers of the law and the Levites and so forth. But look at Joshua chapter 17, verse 14. Then the children of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given us only one lot and one share to inherit? Since we are a great people, inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now. So Joshua answered them, If you are a great people, then go up to the forest country and clear a space for yourself there in the land of the Perizzites. And the giants, since the mountains of Ephraim, are too confined for you. But the children of Joseph said, The mountain country is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites who dwell in the land and the valley have chariots of iron. Both those who are of Beth Sheen and its towns and those who are the valley of Jezreel. So what they're saying is, we are a great people. And you have given us this little area over here, and it's not big enough. It's not big enough. And he says, all right, if you are a great people, then go down in the valleys. Don't just stay up in the mountains. Go down in the valleys. Take the valley area. Oh, but in the valleys, they got some iron chariots down there in the valleys. <laughs> Does that sound a little bit contradictory to you? It thought, uh, Joseph, Joseph thought that, excuse me, Joshua thought that as well. And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, You are a great people and have great power. You shall not have only one lot, but the mountain country shall be yours. Although it is wooded, you shall cut it down. And its farthest extent shall be yours. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong. What he's basically saying is, yeah, they have iron chariots, but go get them. Have them yourself. Go get them. If you are a great people, he doesn't contradict them. You are a great people. So go do what great people do. See, a lot of Christians feel like we are great people, but we're not about to do great things. They want to be a great people, and they want to exist in a great land, but they don't want to do great deeds. They got, they got iron chariots down there. They're giants down there. I don't know about, about doing that. I'll put this in your outline for you. Have we also seen ourselves as great, but our problems as greater? It's good that you see ourselves as great, but have you also seen your problems as greater? That song that we brought in on the, the video. Nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. I can do all things. I can do all things. I can do anything. I can do all things. I love the way they, they team that up. In Joshua chapter 15, I'm just going to summarize this one for you. I put the reference in there so you can go on home and, and look this up if you like to. But in Joshua chapter 15... Judah is given their inheritance. And so Judah sets out to go on their inheritance. And they push forward and they fight for it. Of all the tribes of Israel, there are 11 that have been given land. Out of the 11, only about five actually took a significant amount of the land. 
of those five who took a, a, a somewhat significant amount, not all of them took a great amount. In fact, a lot of them, they left a lot of it for the inhabitants that were there. Some of the seven, or some of the, uh, the other six, that weren't, weren't counted as the five, some of the other six took so small a portion of the land, they were actually considered the intruders on the land that God had given them. They didn't take the land the way that they should. But Judah was not so. Judah set out and conquered their land, and they basically went north up to the borders where they were given. And they conquered it. And I don't know what happened between them and Joshua or them and their generals or what went on, but it might have been something along like this. We, we hit everything north. Yeah? Is there anything to the east of you or the, to the west of you? Yeah, there's some land there to the west of you. Go ahead and take that too. And so they go out and they take it all the way west as far as they can go. Uh, we, we, they sent back where we took everything west. What do we do now? Well, is there anything more to the south of you? Yeah, yeah, there's still some stuff to the south of us. Well, go take that too. And so they go south, and they take stuff that's south of them. And uh, they, they take everything that was south. And they go back, you know, while we took everything there. Well, is there anything more to the west of you? Well, a little bit, yeah. We can. So they took stuff to the west of them, but they didn't take it all. They actually stopped at Jerusalem. Remember who took Jerusalem? David. But up until then, they children of Judah stopped there but they had taken all this other land now here's the problem they were just taking land they weren't necessarily figuring out what they could use they just conquered land they just took land is there more land there yeah take it is there more land they take it and they kept taking land they kept conquering land they conquered more land than anyone else conquered that's why Judah had the most amount of land of, of anybody now I want you to go over to Joshua chapter 19 verse 1 the second lot came out for Simeon, for the tribe of the children of Simeon, according to their families, and their inheritance was within the inheritance of the children of Judah. What this means is, and if you read the rest of it, you can, you can uh, learn some more from this, but what this is talking about is that Simeon did not conquer any land of their own. And they said, well, you know, we don't have any land. We haven't conquered anything yet. And so uh, Judah heard about their plight. And so Judah says, you know what? We actually took more land than we can use. We weren't thinking about all this sort of stuff before, but, you know, we got more land than we can use. Uh, how about if you take some of ours? And so Simeon actually took land that Judah had conquered and settled right there in, in Judah. They had their own little section. They were, their borders were sectioned out. And, and Judah just gave it to them. You know what Judah's attitude about it was? Ah, we had more than we needed. We had more than we needed. Why don't you take some of this stuff? And so they took it. That's a pretty good attitude, isn't it? How many extra fish did they take when they caught the fish in the, in the boat? They had more fish than the nets could hold. They had more fish than the boats could hold. The boats were sinking. They had fragments left over, 12 baskets full, when they fed the, the, the folks in the deserted places. When God rained down manna upon the children of Israel, did he rain down just enough? They were only allowed to take just enough, but how much did he rain down? More than was needed. God always sends us, or wants to bless us, with more than is needed. We got to get this attitude out of our head that says, well, I don't need that much. 
Of course not. God's goal is to bless you with more than you need. He wants you to have an abundance. He wants you to be to have exceedingly more than you need for the purpose of blessing other people. Because there are going to be people that you're going to have contact with who cannot get their own. Who's going to help them out? The people who have more. And we get to step in there and, and to help that out. I want you to go over to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard, and you shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. I'm going to put this in language that you can understand this. How many people have ever mowed a lawn? How many of y'all know that most lawns have a squareness or a rectangleness about them? They're not circular. They generally have corners. And how, if you have a riding track, we have a riding, riding mower. Uh, and we get on the riding mower and we, we drive around. If you have a push mower, you may not face this as much. But if you have a riding mower, you can kind of picture this. When you go around the sharp corner, w- what do you have to do? The, the, the sharp corner, you don't always get in there. You have to sometimes back up and, you know, it, just going around the corner, you, leave, you miss stuff, right? You'll miss everything on that corner because uh, you, you just kind of went around the corner on the, on the whole thing. This is what God's saying to do. He says, when you come to the corners of your property... Don't mow it all down. I want you to take that corner, take it kind of wide, and just leave all that for people who don't have enough, who can't get their own, who aren't walking in a way to be blessed. I want you to leave it for them. Now, don't go on home and cut the corners when you're doing the lawn. It's not what we're telling you to do. Just trying to give you a picture of this. He's just saying that, that if, you, if you do that, don't, don't wholly reap everything. Leave some of it for other people. What he is telling them, and he instructs us to them all the time in, in a number of places of scripture. What he's saying is, I want you to sow, and I want you to reap a bountiful harvest, and I want you to leave some of it in the field. I want you to get so blessed on your harvest that you can leave some of it in the field. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape. What this means is you're not going to go back on through and find all the stuff that you missed. Don't do that. Leave it there. If you missed it, you missed it. You shall not gather every grape out of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. Now, this is what you have to do when you're gathering your grapes, it says. I want you, when you're going through and you're picking the grapes, nope, don't take that one. That one's for the poor. You're not taking all the grapes. You're leaving some of the grapes with the mindset, I'm leaving this for people who aren't blessed. So you're doing. Deuteronomy 24, verse 19. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and get it. Now, you may not know what that means. So I'm going to rephrase this for you. If you go out back and cut your lawn and leave the lawnmower, don't go back out and get it. It's... He's telling them this. If you leave the tool for which you are harvesting out in the field, don't go out and get it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. They're supposed to come on by and pick up your extra tools. Now, how blessed do you have to be that you leave tools in the field and then go back out and get it? That's how blessed God wants them to be. I don't want you to be mindful of it. 
I don't want you to be thinking about it. Remember, we talked about that, that thing before. I, it's not me. I think Brother Copeland brought it up and uh, Brother Creflo Dollar brings it up. And they, they talk. I love it when they, they uh, get into this. It's that poverty mentality. We sometimes can bring in that poverty mentality. If you leave tools out in the field and remember, oh, I left that tool. Well, we'll leave it for the poor. That's not, you can't do that with a poverty mentality. Poverty mentality says I need every tool. I need every one. Poverty mentality says I need every grape off that vine. Poverty mentality says, no, we need to cut the corners. We need to get all the corners of the, of the field. That's a poverty mentality. A poverty mentality is when you go into the restaurant and put in your, your pocket all the sweet and low. All the little sugar packets. Why? Because I don't want to buy them. That's a poverty mentality. You need to get rid of it. You're hurting yourself. You're holding yourself back. Don't do it. It's, it's when you save the, when all of your, your storage containers have Cool Whip on them. <laughs> no, you don't want when to, when your breakfast bowl says shed spread, that's a poverty mentality. No, you know, you know, you know what you need to do with the shed spread thing when you're done? Throw it away. Get rid of it or put it in a recycling bin, whatever you want to do. It's, it's a, it, see, it's a mentality that gets into you. I'm sure that many of you folks like Chinese food. How many of you in your refrigerator right now have thousands of packets of duck sauce? <laughs> soy sauce. <laughs> Why? Are we going to run out? Well, I just don't want to go out and buy it. How many times have you opened the refrigerator and the duck sauce has fallen out on you? And then you have to pick up the duck sauce and put it back in. I say that because we have duck sauce in our refrigerator, so <laughs> it's fallen out on me a few times. We have to stop thinking this way about things. We have to sometimes just, you know what? That's a wrong mentality. How many had grandparents who used to save all the twisty ties on the loaf of bread? Right? Because, you know, you never get enough of them in the trash can. When you buy the trash cans, you have the little metal twisty ties. You're supposed to twisty tie them. Now they don't do that anymore. Now they just have the handle ties. Uh, you can't find twisty ties anymore. They don't, and, the, and the bread doesn't come with twisty ties. It comes with plastic little thing you snap on there. And so it's all that's changing. That's why I say grandparents. Because my grandparents, you know, we had, a, we had a drawer for all the leftover bags from the loaf of bread. And in there was also all the extra twisty ties. And you'd use those twisty ties until they twisted apart and fell apart. Because you never knew when you were going to run out of twisty ties. I don't think we ever did run out of twisty ties, but you know, it's, it's a mentality that we get into. If you let that mentality get in, then when God says, be generous for the poor, you're not going to do it. You'll hold back on it. You don't need to do it. God wants you to have so much ketchup in your house that you don't need those little packets. He wants you to have so much sweet and low in your house, if you want sweet and low, that you don't have to take them from the restaurant. He wants you to have that. That's, our, that's the way our God is. So here he's talking about this one. If you have a sheath in the field, don't go back and get it. Leave it there for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. If they're stranger, fatherless, and widow, do they have a field to use the sheath in? No. So what are they going to do with it? Well, I guess either they sell it or else they take it out when they're out there gleaning. And, you know, when you don't do the corners, they use the sheath on the corners. When you beat out your olive trees, you shall not go over the bros again. It shall be for the stranger. So you go through one pass. Whatever you don't get, 
Oh, that's for the strangers. That's for the people that are fatherless. That's for the people that are widows. When you gather the grapes in your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterwards. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. He says that a couple of times in Deuteronomy. I want you to remember you were a slave in the land of Egypt. You remember that you had a time when you did not have enough. So now that you have abundance, you make sure you leave some for the other folks. Now go over here to Exodus chapter 16. We're going to look at a story. We all know this story. But I want you to take a look at it from this standpoint. And they, uh, verse 1, Exodus 16 and verse 1. And they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they de departed from the land of Egypt. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. Do you think they ever did that in the land of Egypt? I don't think they ever did that in the land of Egypt. But it's amazing how we can think back on some stuff and think about how good it was when it actually wasn't. Where do we leave off at? Verse 3. Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, and when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So they've got this mentality that we had it so much better in Egypt. Oh, it was so much better there. We had all kinds of full pots. We ate bread to the full. We had onions and other places to tell us and leeks and garlic. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. What they had in Egypt was everything that they had was provided for them. They were not paid for their work. Their work was required and they were fed enough to keep them alive so that they continued to produce more. That's all that they were done. They were just seen as objects to get a thing done. They were not seen as people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. The purpose of manna is to test the people. That was it. He's going, you know what? We're going to do it this way. I don't know if God had another way that he was intending to do this before, but he said, we're going to do this and we're going to test them. We're going to see if they're going to walk in my way or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they, uh, that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord, but what are we that you complain against us and Moses? Also Moses said, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat in the morning, in the to uh, meet he in the evening, and in the morning bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him, and what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses spoke to Aaron, say to all the congregation, the children of Israel, come near before the Lord. For he has heard your complaints. Now it came to pass as Aaron spoke to the whole children of Israel that they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them saying, at twilight you shall eat meat and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. 
and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it was the quails came up at evening and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small, round substance as fine as frost in the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need, one omer for each person. According to the number of persons, let each man take for those who are in his tent. Then the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to his, each one's need. And Moses said, Let no one leave any of it until morning. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. So they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need. And when the sun became hot, it melted. And so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today and boil what you will boil and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up till morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink, nor were there any worms in it. Then Moses said to them, Eat that today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you will gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. Now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. What people do you think went out on the seventh day? The people who had formerly stored it. They know how bad it smelled. I'm not keeping that in my house again. So they got rid of it all, and they went out on the seventh day. People who are disobedient tend to just stay disobedient. That's why you don't want to get into that practice. Now it happened that some of the people, uh, verse 28, And the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day, and the house of Israel called its name manna. And it was like white coriander seed, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. How many have ever seen coriander seed? Whenever you buy those uh, spice racks, for some reason they always have coriander seed in there. I have never found a recipe to use coriander seed, ever. Some of you may have, I just have not, but I know what it looks like, I have seen it, and apparently if you just take that coriander seed and you think of it as being white, that's what it looks like. And that's what you could do with it. So here's what they were supposed to do. God was going to give them enough. He rained down manna upon the, the camp in, in nighttime, and it looked like dew, and as the dew went away, this white coriander seed, manna, was left behind. And they were to go out, and they were gathered so much per person. One person could go out and gather all that was needed for the tent. So mom could go out, dad could go out, mom and dad could go out, one of the kids could go out, and gather all that was needed for the tent. They would bring it into the tent. Not everybody had to go out and gather it. You could just have one or two people from your, your group go, or everybody could go, whoever wanted to do it. But there was so much that you were supposed to gather. And that was just how it was supposed to be. If you left it in the house overnight, it was going to stink. Except on the Sabbath day. Because God said, on the Sabbath day, it's going to last for you. 
So what he wanted them to do was to listen to what he was saying. And when it fell, gather it up, gather the right amount for each person, and do with what you want, and then get rid of the rest. Don't keep any of it until morning. But on the Sabbath, you don't have to bake it all. You don't have to boil it all. You don't have to cook it all. You can leave it as it is. And he wanted to see if they would be obedient, if they would do it. And of course, many of the people did not. They were not obedient at all. They did their own thing. But here's what I want you to see in this. God took them from a place where they were slaves, where they really did not have enough to take care of their, their needs. He took them to the place of the wilderness where he gave them the opportunity to gather what they needed for what they needed today only. But he rained down more than they had need of. He rained down plenty. They had to leave some of it behind. And they gathered the rest. He was training them to get out of that area. We've heard people teach about this before. They went from the land of lack. They went to the land of even before they would get to the land of abundance. And so they first all had to learn how to have their needs met. How many of you all know we started out sometimes and our needs were not met? We're not making enough to, to cover what we need. And then we get to a place where we are making enough to cover what we need. And then we can go to a place of, of great abundance. People who have gone, people who have won the lottery, and they have won great abundance, and they've gone from periods of lack to this great abundance. I heard the stats. I forget exactly what the numbers are. But most of those people lose that money within a few years. It's amazing. It's just a, it's, it, they haven't gotten out of that mentality. He's retraining them on this. He says, I want you to get to this, to this place. Now, he did not want them to train this way for 40 years. That was not his goal. His goal was for them to train for this in a few weeks, few months, whatever it was going to take them to get over there. It wasn't going all that, lo all that long. A few months was all they were going to have to be uh, training this, this way for. And then God was going to take them into the land of abundance. But because of their disobedience, they did not learn to obey. But God still gave more than they needed when they were only supposed to gather enough for the day. When you only gather enough for today, you have to have faith that the same provision will come tomorrow. And it builds your faith, encourages your faith, and gets your faith going. Why don't you take over another area of Scripture? Ruth, chapter 2. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, into the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess and to Naomi... Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she's saying this, we don't have anything here. We are definitely a widow in a widow family. I will go and I will glean in one of these fields. You're too old to go and glean. I will go and glean for both of us. So she was going to go and she's going to follow behind. This is what they had in the land of Israel. We read the, the parts of scripture that uh, put this out there you would have the harvesters going and the gleaners would be right behind so that whatever had fallen, they would pick up and they could take it home. They didn't sow. They did not sow for it. Did Israel sow for the manna? No, they did not sow. There was no sowing that involved the, for them for the manna. There's no sowing that Ruth did to glean what she's gleaning in this field or the other people. 
Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. She didn't start there, but she came upon it, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to the servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, is the young, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Now, there are other gleaners that are out there, but he asks about one. Why do you think Boaz asked about this one? Probably pretty. There's probably some kind of an attraction. That, uh, that he, he saw her. Wow, who, who is she? <laughs> and she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Then Boaz said to Ruth, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close to my young woman. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So what he's telling her is, when you get thirsty, the men who are working have worked to bring some water up from the well. I want you to drink what they brought up. And I don't want you to go to any other field. I want you to stay on this field and just glean from here. And then he, he's going to go over and he's going to give some other instructions. So verse 10. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother in the land of your birth. How she what? Hmm. How you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. This is the third time we run into this pattern, isn't it? And Lord, repay your work. The Lord what? Repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Now Boaz said to her at the mealtime, come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed parched grain to her and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And let her grain, let grain fall from the bun, let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. That amount shocked her mother-in-law. If you read on in the story, her mother says, "Wow, where did you glean today? Wow." That is really, you, look at all that you brought back. Not only that, but she gets to tell her the story that, hey, they give me water to drink. They fed me lunch while I was working there. I got to work, I got to eat lunch with the workers. And um, he told the, men, the young men to make sure that they didn't lay a hand on me. And he told all the different things that he did. Oh, well, you found favor with this one. You need to stay there. And of course, if you want to read the rest of the story, it's a good rest of the story to read. Ruth is a good book. But what we see was that she left her homeland. She left her parents. She left her friends. She left all that she knew to come after and follow after Naomi. 
and God is going to repay. We saw that happen with Abraham. We saw that happen with the disciples. That God blesses when we leave stuff to do things for him. He's a good God that way. And Boaz says, look, we're going to make sure that she's taken care of. She doesn't go anywhere else. I want you to, when you see where she is, I want you to drop some stuff. So she'll, when she comes up to it, she'll find it. On purpose. I want you to do this. I want you to help her out. Now, that's, that is a, quite a mentality for Boaz. He is taking his prophet and leaving it back there for them. That's a different mentality. It's a mentality that we need to, to go on and to have. I'll give you a, a place where you can apply this. Have you ever had it where you had some money in your pocket and somewhere it fell out. You had some money in your purse and it disappeared, it fell out somewhere. Have you ever had that? Raise your hand. I want to see. How many people have ever lost money? How many have ever lost something significant? I mean, not just a dollar, two dollars. I mean, you lost a significant bill. Yeah. Did that bother you for a long time? Oh, I can't believe I, I, I had that. 20, I had that 50, I had that $100 bill. I can't find it. That's a lot of money. I can't find where it went to. You need to adapt the mentality of the gleaners that God has for the gleaners. Father God, I didn't lose that on purpose. I don't know where it went to. But right now, I'm claiming that as my gleaning. I've just gleaned money out there and somebody came upon it who needed it even more than I did. And it's going to bless them and I'm going to get blessed for it. And then you just go on. And don't worry about it. Don't be concerned about, oh, I lost it. Oh, I lost it. Oh, I can't believe I lost. No, don't worry about it. Get it out of your mind. Get this attitude that uh, you can go. Have you seen that commercial for the, the insurance guy? And he's, he's made of money. He's driving on down the road and money is just going out all over. Yeah. That's okay if that's you. That's, it's really okay. You know what? We're blessing people. People are going to follow after folks like that. That's all right. We're blessing them. If you lost something, don't get all caught up. Don't get all concerned. Don't start, you know, demanding. Just say, Father God, this is, this is my gleanings. We're going we're gonna to leave that back there for the folks like Ruth. We're going to be like Boaz. We're going to leave money back in there. It just changes your attitude about it. And if it comes back to you, it comes back to you. But if not, guess what? God's going to take care of it. You know what God says when you loan money or give money to the poor? You know what he says? He says, you've loaned that money to me. He wants you to do that. Now understand, make sure that it's good soil. What's good soil? If you're going to give to the poor, even though they're poor, they need to still be generous. You're going to be generous with a lesser amount. But just like the man in the parable, you've got to be generous still. I put this in your outline. We may start with less than but move to enough and then to more than enough. You have got to have your eyes set. I am going in a direction of more than enough. I am going in my life to a place like the promised land where it is filled with milk and honey. It's a land of abundance. Remember when we first came upon the land of Canaan? The land of Canaan, Abraham came to it. What was going on? Famine. Isaac came to it. What was going on? Famine. If you were here on Wednesday night services, uh, this was some time ago, we actually did a study and showed you that the Garden of Eden is in the vicinity of the land of Canaan. If God, and God follows patterns. He follows patterns. It was 
remember where Christ was, was crucified? The Mount of Golgotha. Do you remember where the Temple Mount was built? Do you remember where Abraham sacrificed Isaac? It was all in the same general area. Where Abraham sacrificed Isaac is where they built the temple. Where David built the altar has, is also, it, it's, all, it's all tied in, it's all significant. When we get to heaven, I am 98% sure that the Garden of Eden is in the land of Canaan. The land of Eden is there, but the Garden of Eden is somewhere in that. In the Garden of Eden, there was a tree of life. Do you remember that they were cast out of the, of the garden? They were not cast out of the garden because God did not want them in the garden. They were cast out of the garden because of, but Word of God specifically says it. Why? Lest they eat of the tree of life and live forever. If they live forever, they can't be, they can't be uh, helped. He can't pull them out. Death had to come in order for them to be redeemed. There had to be death. If they ate of the tree of life, they would be in that condition, that fallen condition, forever. He says, I don't want that. I want them to be able to die. So we need to do something about that. So he kicks them out of the Garden of Eden where the tree of life is. Is the tree of life in the Garden of Eden now? Where is the tree of life? It is in heaven. So what happened was when they kicked him out of the garden, they were doing a, a transplanting project. They were transplanting the tree of life from the Garden of Eden to heaven. I'll tell you what, that's a project right there. Moving it from the planet Earth to some other place, wherever it might be. You think that just moving it from the garden center to your house was a project. This is going from the Garden of Eden. When we get to heaven, I'm going to wager that the tree of life is probably right in the neck of the woods where Jesus was crucified. I don't know that for sure. But God is a stickler on places. Things happen at places. Remember what happened at the Mount of Olives? The Mount of Olives, Jesus was raised up. And what, is his, what does the angel say? He will come back somewhere. Somewhere. No, he said he's going to come right back here. He's going to come right back to the Mount of Olives. He left here. He's going to come back this way. When he comes for the second advent, that's where he's coming back at. That's the thing that we know. Well, we may start with less then. You may be even in a spot in your life right now where you don't quite have enough. But you've got to get your sights on, I'm going to have enough. And then once you get to that place where you have enough, you're going to set your sights on, I will have enough to bless other people. I will have enough to bless other people. And you're going to find for God to show you, who can I bless? Who can I help? What can I do? Yeah, but I'm not rich yet. Doesn't matter. If you're not rich, you help people out with a quarter. You help them out with a dollar. You help them out with five dollars. You help them out with what you can. You make sure it's good soil. Make sure you're sowing good seed. Know what you have sown and what you have left. You ought to know it. What kind of things have you sown? What kind of things have you left for the gospel's sake? You ought to know. Father God, I, I left those. The disciple said to Jesus, we've, we've left everything and follows you. So what happens with us? All good things are in store for you guys. And here's the principle to remember. We're going to get into this more. We reap our harvest through faith. How did the children of Israel take the land of promise? 
They had faith. They had to go out in faith and battle the city of Jericho. They had to go out in faith and battle the five kings. They had to go out in faith and attack this, this group over here. They had to go out in faith. Caleb said he, he's, he's in faith. He went after the hardest place. To, he said, that's mine. I want that one. That's really difficult, but I can do it. He said, give me that one. And he took the most difficult place to take, and he stormed it and took it, and it was his. He was a man of faith. You reap in faith. You sow in faith. You don't reap in the bed. You got to be active. You got to be doing something. There was a harvest waiting for the disciples. And how did Jesus tell them to get it? Go take your nets and drop them into the lake. Was it convenient? Was it something they wanted to do? Did it make sense? No. But God is going to tell you some things about how to reap a harvest and it won't make sense to everybody else. But he's going to tell it to you. You need to do this. You need to invest in this. You need to sow into this. You need to take this opportunity. You need to buy that because you're going to be able to sell that. He's going to give you wisdom on this. He's going to give you understanding on this. You're going to perceive things. And when that happens, you need to act on it. Otherwise, you are letting the harvest go by its wayside. You'd be like the disciples and say, well, we don't want to go out in the water right now. Let down our nets. What's Jesus going to say? Okay, here's something I want you to get a hold of. When Jesus repays them for letting him use their boat, so to speak, when he uh, tells them to go out into the deep and cast their nets, does it cost Jesus anything? It doesn't cost him a dime. He's not even working. He's on the shore. He said, go take your boats. Go on out there in the deep. Cast them down on this side. See what you get. He's not working. He's not lifting the nets. He's not pulling the fish in. He's not doing anything. It's not costing him a thing. But he's telling them where to get it. Most times that we reap, we expect it to cost God. We expect God to take out of his storehouse and give to us. But God is going to show you wisdom on how to get out of this earth a harvest. It will show you how to do it. When the children of Israel came into the land of milk and honey, did it cost God anything? The land was there. Did God have to build the cities? He said to them, you're going to live in cities you haven't built. You're going to reap from vineyards you haven't planted. Is it going to cost God anything? Uh-uh. Remember the promise in the word of God? The wealth of the unjust is laid up for the, for the just. God is going to bless you, but he's going to show you how to go out into this world and reap a harvest. He's going to give you understanding on things you didn't have understanding before, and he's going to challenge you to drop a net down when it doesn't seem like it makes any sense to do it. He's going to give you an idea. It doesn't, I, I, I'm sure nobody would buy this. He's going to give you some things. You need to take those things. You need to have faith with it. Because as you sow in faith, you reap in faith. Faith is as much involved in the sowing as it is in the reaping. As we talked about before, there's more effort in reaping than there is in sowing. Be ready to listen to God. 
God is going to do some things for you. We're going to look at some more things, but there's much more to be looked at in the Word of God on the reaping. We have just barely touched the, the reaping aspect of it, but we're going to get into, into some more of it. But faith is involved. Your faith is involved. Stay out of the wrong kind of mentality. Stay out of that mentality that says, oh, I've got to keep everything I have. Look for places to give. You can only give a little bit. Great, give a little bit. That's fine. The widow gave how much? All she had, two mites, nothing. That's all she had, but she gave it. Be good soil. Show God, I can give. I, I can't give much. I don't have much, but I can give. You can only give what you have. Don't try and give what you don't have. You ever see those ministers? You know, well, you need to give $100. You know, you need to sow a $1,000 offering. If you don't have it, put it on your credit card. We'll take credit. That's ridiculous, folks. You sow what you have. And God speaks to you as to sow in it, not to someone else. God will speak to you. When God speaks to you, you act on that. When God tells you to do this, you act on that. You don't act on what someone else did. That's wrong. That's not right. We'll make sure that you know these things so that these folks don't pull you in. Because that's not good soil. They're not sowing the right word. They're not sowing word at all. Don't fall into that. Be a tither. Once you're a tither, look for opportunities to sow. All right, I tithe. I have no money left. Fine. What else can you sow? You've got stuff. You've got knowledge. You've got understanding. You've got wisdom. You, got, you can sow help. Ruth sowed kindness. What did she get back? kindness. She got kindness from Boaz. He was kind and left the stuff, extra stuff for her to glean, which helped her out monetarily. But she didn't have money to sow. What did she sow? Kindness. And eventually she married the guy who was rich and she became rich. (laughs) Did she? Did not Ruth become rich? She married a rich guy. You can't marry a rich guy and not become rich. That's what happens. She went from poor, having nothing, to being rich and over the guys who were given the extra stuff for her to glean. (laughs) Why? Because she sowed kindness. Don't just limit yourself. I have no money to sow. Great. Sow what you can. Just get involved in the sowing game. Sow kindness. Sow friendship. So encouraging words. Look, always be looking for things. What can I sow? Oh, there's somebody that they look a little down. Maybe I can go over there. Maybe they'll give me an opportunity to sow into them. Maybe I can say something to help them out. Maybe God will show me. Go on over there and do that. Let God open up the doors for you to sow. Because when you sow, you will, you will reap. You will reap. Don't stay out of the sewing game because you have no money. Ruth sowed kindness. She got stuff back through kindness. She was unable to sow even more. You're in this. No matter what your situation is, you are in this, and God can bless you. Just stand up with me. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us to understand your word, to put these principles to work, the laws of increase will help us in our life. Father, we thank you for it. We give you the praise and the glory for it. We thank you, Father, that you give us understanding of your word. You open it up to us, for it is your word 
that gives us light. It's your word that cuts through the darkness. It's your word that will take us out of the place where we are now and move us into the place of so much better. So much better, Father. Oh, we just thank you for the help that you give us in this. We give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you didn't fill out your praise report card, raise your hand up. Our ushers will get you a praise report card. We want you to hear what you have to say. If you already filled it out and sent it in, my wife has a few of them over here already. We want to hear what it is you have to say. Just like Ethel was talking about this morning, you share some of those praise reports and it helps somebody else out in their, in their spot and encourages our faith. It's important for us to, to hear those things. So we want to, want to be out here. Give them over to the ushers and we will bring them in. We're doing them all with the written card as we've been saying for the last couple of weeks. We get more this way, we can fire through them, and we can get them on the tape so other people can hear it as well. So we want them all to come on out. Ready? Ancient, I like that one. <laughs> Our ancient air conditioning unit was resurrected multiple times this week for very little expense. A real lesson in perseverance and prayer. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Ethel said, "God, um, thank God that he entrusted her with the, the thing he places great value upon, his revelation and his word. He also entrusted me with, what is that, with that he pays, oh, with that he says that it is least valuable, and that is with money. Um, we received bonus when everyone else was convinced we would not. So praise God, more blessings that way. Daryl says, we were blessed this week with a free piano and free delivery and set up in our home. Wow. Amen. Amen. And this one came from Miss Gladys. Um, she said, I needed to talk with a supervisor that I never see because I am her relief. Today I had to go to the job. Guess who was working late? We had our discussion, and I made it back home on schedule um, hmm. to make it to church on time. Amen. Praise God. So there's a lot, of, a lot of praise reports, a lot of things happening. Um, I want to give these out again. Some of you weren't here last week, but before I do, I want to find out, those of you who received... Um, your gifts last week, how many of you were able to start the listening or reading the book or anything like that? A few? Good. Amen. Well, those of you who were not here last week, what we were doing was we were talking about um, uh, the three things that God has really been uh, stressing the church to get into. Getting out of debt, becoming abundant, and that's what Pastor's been teaching on. Um, strengthening our marriages and also health and nutrition. So one of the things that we did, and I, the reason I'm giving you this this way is because I had yours in with the Ekpace, so they have like the bag with everybody's <laughs> in it. But everybody's getting a book from the Copelands to help us as a church. We're all going through the same thing. And that's what really encourages me and excites me is because as you go through it and as you learn it, somebody else is going through and learning the same exact thing. And we can share each other's testimonies along that way. So this is for you. And also we're getting, can you hold this? This T-shirt to remind us every time you put it on that we are born to be blessed. That is God's desire for us at all times, blessed in every way. And, you know, I love that word blessed because it means in every area of our lives, relationships, spiritually, physically, monetarily. I mean, no matter what, we are born to have more than enough, more than enough joy to share, more than enough peace, more than enough. And on the back is just the, the church's logo. So that's for you. This is for Nancy. Oh, I almost do what I, what I yelled at Pastor for doing. 
We've been talking about blessings and how when we sow, we have to actively reap it. So what I'm going to do is call your name, and you can come and receive your blessing. This is for you, Nancy. Come on up. That's just, you know, when I asked the Lord about that, he says, it's really, we need to get into the habit of thinking, I have to do something. I have to act in faith. I have to step out and believe. Um, it's not, somebody's not going to just hand it to you like manna from heaven. This is for you guys, the child's. Come on up. And Miss Burt. And that one, I think, is for Lou and Marilyn. Lou, this is for you. So I just want to take a second. I know um, after we do the morning service, or after we do our worship time in the mornings, and we had been doing the praise reports then, and we go back into singing and worshiping. You know, this is something that God has placed on me is to constantly be thankful for what he's doing for everybody else. So can we just take a minute and just thank God and praise him for what he's done in everybody's lives, for the money that's coming in, the blessings that are coming in, the favor that's coming in, the unexpected things, the supernatural happening in our lives. I mean, he's a great God. When we were singing that song, Everything, all I wanted to do is just tell him what everything is. You know, like, he's my joy, my strength, my peace. I mean, you could just spend hours just telling God what he is. And I think about the word when it, when it says, you know, as they minister to the Lord. And that's what ministering to the Lord is, just reminding him of who he is to you. When, as they minister to the Lord, the Holy Ghost spoke. The supernatural happened. The Holy Spirit came. And I think the more time we spend ministering to God, the more we're going to hear from the Holy Spirit, the more he's going to move, and the more things are going to be just breaking loose over us personally, our families, our church. So can we do that? I think you pulled it up. Okay, well, Father, we just want to thank you. And, and join me. This has to come from everybody. I don't want to just be me being thankful for the church. But, Father, we're just thankful. And we praise you, Father God, that you are our God who is more than enough. Lord, you are El Shaddai. That is your, your, your name. You are El Shaddai, the God who provides more than enough. Father, you are our joy. You are that peace, that rock that we can stand upon. You are our firm foundation, Father God. You are the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. You are the God who knows everything about us. You know our future, Father, because you were there. I thank you, Father, that you are the one who directs our path. You are the one who sets us, Father God, on the, on the road to, the, to the, the blessings that you have for us, Father. Lord, I thank you that every time we are weak, you are our strength. You are our joy. You are our peace. You are our strong tower. Hallelujah. You are our glory, Father, God, glory to your name. We thank you, Father. We thank you for what you're doing in the lives of your people, Father God. Lord, I thank you how you're building up our faith in, in you and our faith in your word, Father God. Lord, we believe, as the song says, we believe in you. We believe that your word is true. We believe that your word is life, and it's alive, and it's living inside of us, and it is accomplishing your will on the earth. It is accomplishing your will in us. Father, we give you glory. We praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord.